Welcome to Moving With Life. This is episode number 10. I am Andy Acosta. My friend Eddie Sainz will be joining me today. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for lending us your ears for the next two hours or so. Um, Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to leave reviews. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Alright, so episode number 10 is a different format because we weren't able to get together as a group of three. Uh, This week, only me and Eddie were able to get together uh, some co- schedule conflicts, which was which is cool. Uh, we get into we get into just minor uh, reasoning as to why it's good that schedules are conflicting, and it meaning that we're busy. So for this format, I dive into a book that I can swear by now. That's next to a lot of other books that are my favorites that are on my shelf. Or will be on my shelf forever. Extreme Ownership, which is which was written by Leif Babin and Jocko Willink, both now retired Navy SEALs who have a business consulting company called Echelon Front. So I dive into the preface, introduction, and chapter one. Uh, I'm not going to say too much. You can listen to the details on this next episode of Moving With Life. Alright, so I'm going to play selfish today. Eddie, if you interrupt, or like let me know if, not, I don't mean like interrupt, but I meant to say like interrupt me if needed or if, uh, if you have anything to ponder on, you know, if you if anything comes up. Okay. I'm going to be a little stingy today with the radio, or the radio, with the microphones. Go for it. Um, Brian's not here today, so it's me and Eddie, and. Hi, everybody. Yeah, I had to think, I had to think about what we were going to do in this type of situation because I'm sure there will be times where we're on the road and it'll be another situation where it's like, okay, we need to release a podcast. We're, you know, we're going to, I'm going to have my laptop with me and we're going to get it done wherever we're at at the time. So today I decided to do just a piece of extreme ownership, how U.S. Navy SEALs lead and win by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. My reasoning for this book is because in the normal episodes, we've gone over pieces of the Go-Giver. We bring up Wild at Heart. We bring up, I've brought up Unshakable by Tony Robbins. So I needed another book that I feel was is relevant to what I, my perspective on the podcast. You know, the, what I do with the teams that I work with, you know, per se. With, you know, Nine Round with Eddie. Uh, any collaborations I do with Brian or anything he sends my way that, if he sends me uh, something happened, something that happened at work, it's like, well, this is what I would do, you know. And from his seat, since he's not the boss, you know, how do you work up and down chain of command? All that, all that stuff that I've mentioned at least some point up to now, you know, this is episode 10. So the first nine episodes, I do make it a point to at least bring up different things that I would do. Even when we brought up Donald Trump that one time, you know, um, I talked about working up the chain of command and building a relationship. A uh, funny thing, side note, uh, Gonzo, he's like, that's how you build relationships. He was t- he was tweeting with some drummer from somewhere, and he's like, that's how you build relationships. I'm like, I concur. You you communicate, you communicate effectively, and then you become you become friends, and that's that. You know? Yeah. People in, um, not that we'll, like, dive too far into this, but I, yeah. I know, like, that's, like, a big thing right now with, um, like, when we were in Nashville and we were hanging out with the studio musicians a day, we were tracking for my mm. album and all that, and so these dudes are, like, you know, the, the big swingers of, of musicians in town. Like, they're the... 
freaking A team. The A team, yes. And um, like even they were saying like the main problem right now, like in Nashville, is like it's super oversaturated with musicians, and there's not enough people that are just like trying to be friends with you first. They're just trying to like be around you to have what you have, and you know just kind of take advantage of that relationship, yeah. and not necessarily to, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, it, friends. <laughs> I guess an example could be, um, hey, man, what kind of gear do you have? And then, and then like, they just not talk to you, like, ever again or whatever. You know, they then you see, like, they have the exact same gear. And it doesn't sound as – and th- then, okay, we'll tell this in just real quick. They buy the same gear as you, and then they're disappointed that they don't sound like you. Well, that makes sense because you're not the same player. It's not the same person. As, you know, you, the settings only go so far. The exact effects, the exact drums, the exact uh, – amplifiers guitars you know that only goes so far it's still the player still the feel you know it goes back to that soul. you know that soul uh, brent mason talks about that a lot you know putting soul into all the music that he plays you know that's how that's what helps him you know just gauge through any song go brent freaking brent mason <laughs> okay so let's let's dive into the book i'm gonna read pieces and then uh talk about it and then we'll keep moving forward i'm only gonna i'm gonna do the preface the introduction and then should get through most of chapter one um like I said, this is this is my way of thinking. Uh, it's really from a book, and I've used it, and I feel like I've I've gotten enough feedback to where I, I've always, I've told Eddie about it since I got it. You know, since I read it, uh, Brian is well aware of it. A lot of people that know me on a personal level know that I've read this book, you know, multiple times. Um, so now this is like the way Gary V talks about giving free information. You know, this is stuff that works if you use it. You know, it's one thing to read a book and put it back on the shelf. It's another thing to use it and go about every single day. You know, having a micro plan, sorry, a macro plan, you know, involving, you know, the next 10 to 15 years. And then you have a micro, which is day to day and how you go about those, your tasks for the day. So here we go. So there I was. Plenty of glorified war stories start like that. In the SEAL teams, we make fun of those who tell embellished tales about themselves. A typical war story told in jest about something a SEAL did usually begins like this. So, no shit, there I was, knee-deep in grenade pins. This book isn't meant to be an individual's glorified war story. As SEALs, we operate as a team of high-caliber, multi-talented individuals who have been through perhaps the toughest military training and most rigorous screening process anywhere. But in the SEAL program, it is all about the team. The sum is far greater than the parts. We refer to our professional warfare community simply as the teams. We call ourselves team guys. This book describes SEAL combat operations and training through our eyes, from our individual perspectives, and applies our experience to leadership and management practices in the business world. So stopping here real quick, a lot of people get confused, I feel, when they're going through their college degrees, college college life, and they feel like, oh, I can't use this because it's not in the field of a job that's available to them. And for me, my favorite, I mean, not my favorite, that's terrible to say, it's so egotistical. But the thing is that I have a business degree, and I've said this before exactly like this, I have a business degree that works in the music industry per se and with clients that want to exercise and better themselves but yet i still use these principles that ultimately come back to me you know incorporating them 
you have something? Yeah, well, just the one part you said about uh, the sum is greater than the parts. Yes. Great quote. I had to write that down for later. Um, just because, okay, so just background for everybody listening. Andy's read this book. I have never read this book. I've only ever heard Andy talk highly of this book. <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> over and over again. Um, and, of course, I listen to Jocko Podcast in my spare time, um, in and out here and there, though admittedly I haven't for quite a few months now. But um, that beside the point, the sum is greater than the parts. Um, that just I had to write that down because that instantly applies into everything I do, every factor of life, whether it's me running the band or me working at Music Academy or teaching, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The team is always going to be way better than yourself or someone else as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just something, not to brag on myself, but I realized that super early on. Yep. Um, I really hope you did too if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. Uh, that, that's another thing is I feel a lot of people have go- come into listening to our podcast and expected a full-on entertainment deal you know and and i'm like and even i've responded i'm like no this it's a sort of entertainment that is to build on you know like this is for you to build on and i'd hope for you to use it because i i'm using it every day and it's worked you know it just works and and then i move forward you know like i said i'm going back to this book um for today but you know i'm I'm still reading other books you know this is just for today for the podcast because um no, no one has directly asked me like, oh, what do you, uh, what do you do, or how do you, how did you learn this? They're always about, you know, what can you do for me? I feel like I get more of those questions than, you know, like, hey, you know, and which is fine, which is cool, because hopefully I get to then answer their questions and help them. But my logic, as of now, has been this book, starting in 2016, and then you know, proceeding to today, you know, and then going to tomorrow. Yeah. So skipping forward, he gives some, de- uh, Jocko gives some details, as far as who was involved in the. In his in his task unit, so his task unit was task unit bruiser. He he, he was in charge of two SEAL platoons, uh, one of them being Charlie, and then the other one being Delta. Uh, Chris Kyle w- did serve under him while in in Iraq during this particular tour. Jocko did a previous tour in Iraq, but he was only a, a platoon commander. So he went from platoon commander in his first tour to then this tour he then commanded two platoons so he was like the guy for this particular seal element so let me wrap this up this preface the idea for this book was born from the realization that the principles critical to seal success on the battlefield how seals train and prepare their leaders how they mold and develop high performance teams and how they lead in combat are directly applicable to success in any group organization corporation business and to a broader degree, life. This book provides the reader with our formula for success, the mindset and guiding principles that enable SEAL leaders and combat units to achieve extraordinary results. It demonstrates how to apply these directly in business and life to likewise achieve victory. So moving on to the introduction, which was written by Leif Babin, he gives a small account of him going through a village, I guess, on a SEAL operation. But I'm going to skip forward just a little bit in where the actual action starts. The SEAL assault force patrolled up a narrow street between the high walls of residential compounds and moved to the door of a target building. Boom. 
The deep concussion from the explosive breaching charge shattered the quiet night. It was a hell of a wake-up call for the occupants inside the house as the door blew in, and aggressive, well-armed men ready for a fight entered the house. The Humvees pushed forward across the bridge, down the narrow street, wide enough only for a single vehicle, and came, up, came to a stop in security positions around the target building. Each vehicle's turret contained a seal manning a heavy machine gun, ready to provide fire support if things went sideways. So yeah, I think if you play video games, you know what a turret is. <laughs> a turret, so it's it's a little like canopy deal. That's arm. Uh, it's protect arm and armed and protected up on top of the Humvee. Uh, so keep uh, move forward. Remember again, this is Leif talking. So he, I was the ground force commander, the se senior seal in charge of this operation. I had just stepped out of the command vehicle and onto the street near the target building when suddenly someone yelled, We've got a squirter. It was one it was our EOD, which is a explosive ordnance disposal technician. So it was our EOD operator nearby who had seen the quote unquote squirter, meaning someone fleeing the target building. Perhaps it was the terrorist himself or someone with information on his whereabouts. We, uh, on his whereabouts, sorry. We couldn't allow him to escape. Now, at this point, I, th I believe I wanted to bring this up because kind of tie maybe tying into like the police situations now where everybody's a judge, everybody judges police for making certain decisions. Now, not all of them are justified, but um, you don't know. It's like, it's like he says here, you know, perhaps it was the terrorist himself or someone with information on his whereabouts. And to me, I, I tied that into just here living in the United States. You know, you, you don't know who's, you know, okay, for cops, like we don't know who's out there. You know, the media only releases so much, you know, usually because they want to, you know, they only have so, so much information. But regardless, regardless of what you see on the, on the t television every night or on the Internet, um, unless you're a cop, you know, I, I find it very hard to say otherwise as far as their decision making and how much time they actually have to make a decision. All right, so so they break, they breach this house. This they found this, they find this squirter. I'm skipping forward now. Uh, I'm reading this part because it just get to me. I hope it gives a good feeling of about what's going on, how how they feel inside, um, emotionally. So blood pumping, adrenaline surging. I knew every nanosecond counted. This situation could overwhelm the most competent leader and seasoned combat veteran. But the words of my immediate boss, our task unit commander, Lieutenant Commander Jocko Willink, echoed in my head. Words I'd regularly heard during a full year of intensive training and preparation. Quote, relax, look around, make a call. End quote. Our SEAL platoon and task unit had trained extensively through dozens of desperate, chaotic, and overwhelming situations to prepare for just such a moment as this. I understood how to implement the laws of combat that Jocko had taught us. Cover and move, keep it simple, prioritize and execute, and decentralize command. The laws of combat were the key to not just surviving a dire situation such as this, but actually thriving, enabling us to totally dominate the enemy and win. That They guided my next move. Do you have something? No, just the uh, the quote, relax, look around, make a call, kind of really struck out to me. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people, including myself, tend to 
really freak out and concentrate too much about um, just, you know, like the emotion behind what's going on. And really all you need to do is take a step back and a deep breath and just make a judgment call and go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but And that's something I've been like trying to work on myself is taking a step back from okay, this is happening. Yes, it may be dramatic or highly emotional. It may feel or, emotional, exactly. Yeah, it, yes. it may feel very heightened at the moment, but you've got to you know, take a step back from everything and, and ultimately make a judgment call, A, um, sooner than later, and B, um, this kind of mixes in with A, sooner than later, but also based with good knowledge and mm-hmm. not just, you know, not just for the sake of being sooner than later. But right, more good judgment. You know, good a good judgment call rather than oh my god and go <laughs> and then it's, it's got to be like a sweet spot of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, I know honestly that, that's why I I okay you can get some insight for me Eddie is you know I kind of that's when I'll raise questions like okay well do you mean this or this and that's where I tie in like tone has a lot to do with it like when you're like oh this has to get okay okay I I know that we we understand that now now what's your call you know think about it you know then make a call. And I, I, I just try to always tell it back to you. It's like, okay, what's your call? And regardless of what, which, which, uh, I guess option you have for me, Gonzo, Denver, J- you know, any one of us that maybe have, uh, partake or taken part of this, any scenario, um, at the end of the day, it's your call. We all have to go, you know, then we go. Once you made that call, that that's, you know, relax, go, you know, and then we pr- proceed. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so here it gives a little bit, in, a little bit of, uh, I guess, Def, what they mean by like prioritize, execute. I'm going to read just a little piece of that and then move forward in the book. So prioritize. Of all the pressing tasks at hand, if I didn't first handle the armed enemy fighters bearing down on us within the next few seconds, nothing else would matter. We would be dead. Worse, the enemy fighters would continue their attack and might kill more of our SEAL assault force. This was my highest priority. So that's what prioritize means. I mean... It's not common sense. I, I always go back to, even if I think it's common sense, I have to go back to it's not. It's not until it's taught. You know, I, I always bring that, you know, one plus one does not equal two until you're taught as a child one plus one equals two. So even for, to prioritize, you know, you, you need to step back and see what's most important. Um, I feel as far, maybe in our band situation, if anything happens live, um, let's say the power goes out. It's okay. We're, we're, we're did the mixer go out or did the whole power, you know, did the whole system go out? Maybe that that's a s- somewhat of an example of how we, maybe I use it. You know, when something goes wrong, it's like, okay, is the, is, or maybe the mic goes out. Okay, was well, it the snake? Is it the actual cable? Is it the microphone? You know, there's different variations where if on an initial thing, it's like, oh, it's the cord, change the cord. Then you change the cord, then you're like, oh, it's not the cord. You know, it's still not working, you know, so it could be something else. Um, well, just like, um, not to dive too far into it, but. Just like this past weekend, we had a private party on Friday that we were playing, and it was kind of like an acoustic gig, so it wasn't, you know, full big PA, full band, full drum kit, or whatever, you know, like, Gonzo had a stripped-down drum kit, and we were using acoustic guitars, and, and, you know, JJ was the only one that was actually using his regular setup like Mm -hmm. he would anyway um, on the bass, but all that being said, um, Denver, I was lending him my backup acoustic guitar to use for that night's gig, and um, and so that acoustic guitar, I had recently, a few months ago, had it, um, you know, had a pickup installed in it so that we could use it for these kinds of purposes and uh, not have to worry about miking it up or anything. We could just make it be able to plug in and, and make sound, right? 
So that being said, the pickup is um, is active, so you have to put a battery in it mm-hmm. um, for it to be able to work. And I think at, at this point, we were kind of getting close to done sound checking. We were kind of running short yeah, on time. Yeah, we were short in time. Yeah, and, short in time. <laughs> yeah, we had like 15 minutes until we were going to be able to start. Or needed to start. Or needed to start. <laughs> yeah, or not going to be able to. Yeah, needed to start. <laughs> needed to start. 15 start, minutes until right. we needed to start. And, um, and Denver's guitar, the one I lent him, just wasn't working. And so, like you said, we just kind of, okay, prioritize, execute, like, just, okay, we'll just go down the list. What yeah. is it? Okay, cable? Nope, not the cable. Pedal? Something in his chain? Nope, wasn't that. Everything's good. And then I was just like, here, try my guitar. Is it working? Yes, it's working. Okay, then it's the guitar. It's the guitar, it's, yeah. Yeah, then it's the one you're using then. So I was like, the battery must be dead. And so I was just like, in my mind, I was just kind of like, damn it, we have like, like under 15 minutes to fucking do this. And I know that it takes forever to change this fucking battery. Because it's just um, it's so cumbersome to <laughs> yeah. get, to stick your hand all the way through the sound hole and reach out and undo the Velcro and it's a cumbersome battery to change, and uh, but I was like, it has to be done, mm-hmm. and immediately I just like started spouting off shit. I was just like, I need this. I need my my fucking Allen wrench. Like <laughs> someone give me my Allen wrench. Like Denver, go in my backpack and get me the Allen wrench and get me the damn batteries. <laughs> I'm like. Okay, cut out the batteries while I do this. Yeah. And then I was like, shit, my Allen wrench got stuck. And then, like, Denver got pliers, and then we pulled it out. And then, <laughs> like, and then it, somehow or another, we ended up starting on time. But No, yeah, it all, it all ended good. But that's where, you know, that's a scenario where we're using prioritize and execute. We went down the, la- the, the list, and it got done. And that's, he was, I'm not going to talk about this, but, you know, from pri- uh, going back to Lave, what Lave was talking about, he said, prioritize of all the tasks, ha- uh, sorry, of all the pressing tasks at hand, if I didn't first handle the armed enemy fighters bearing down on us within the next few seconds, we didn't have, they didn't have minutes, you know, so it's, it's way more intense. And that's one thing that they, they talk about, about this book is that war is amplified and intensified, but it's still very relevant to everyday life or everyday business or everyday uh, interaction, you know, and whatever you're doing. There's a parallel. Yes, it's very, it's very, it's very much a parallel. So prioritize, execute. So then I'll just read the first sentence to the next one. So without hesitation, I engage the enemy fighters moving forward toward us with my Colt M4 rifle, hammering the first insurgent in line carrying the RPG with three or four rounds to the chest dead center. So anyway, so he he realized, okay, if we don't kill these guys coming directly at us right now, you know, then they're the highest priority, you know, and then execute and they, they got the mission done to then proceed and, you know, move 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 along with the mission. All right, so skipping forward again, this subtitle is called Leadership, the Single Most Important Factor. This part was written by Leif Babin and Jocko Willink. This book is about leadership. It was written for leaders of teams, large and small, for men and women, for any person who aspires to better themselves. Though it contains exciting accounts of SEAL combat operations, this book is not a war memoir. It is instead a collection of lessons learned from our experiences to help other leaders achieve victory. It, if it serves as a useful guide to leaders who aspire to build, train, and lead high-performance winning teams, then it has accomplished its purpose. Every leader and every team at some point or time will fall and must confront the, that failure. That, too, is a big part of this book. We are by no means infallible leaders. No one is, no matter how experienced. Nor do we have all the answers. No leader does. We've made huge mistakes. 
Often our mistakes provided the greatest lessons, humbled us, and enabled us to grow and become better. For leaders, the humility to admit and own mistakes and develop a plan to overcome them is essential to success. The best leaders are not driven by ego or personal agendas. They are simply focused on the mission and how best to accomplish it. Moving forward here. Some may wonder how Navy SEAL combat leadership principles translate outside the military realm to leading any team in any capacity. But combat is reflective of life, only amplified and intensified. Decisions have made immediate consequences and everything, absolutely everything is at stake. The right decision, even when all seems lost, can snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. The wrong decision, even when a victorious outcome seems all but certain, can result in deadly, catastrophic failure. In that regard, a combat leader can acquire a lifetime of leadership lessons learned in only a few deployments. For this reason, they must believe, they being the leaders, you know, wanting to uh, better themselves, they must believe in the cause for which they are fighting. They must believe in the plan they are asked to ex execute. And most important, they must believe in and trust the leader they are asked to follow. This is especially true in the SEAL teams where innovation and input from everyone, including the most junior personnel, are encouraged. Combat leadership requires, a, requires getting a diver diverse team of people in various groups to execute highly complex missions in order to achieve strategic goals. So strategic to tactical. The way, I, the simplest way I can explain that is tactical is your day-to-day, -day, your st strategic is your 10-year plan. It's strategic is what is, what are you going to get out of this career? What are you going to get out of this project? Whatever, whether it's a home project, whether it's a business project, a new venture, a new business venture, um, that's what I tell it into. Um, it took me, honestly, it took me, it took me a long time to kind of come to that simple simplified definition you know you, if you look up the definition of tactical and strategic it kind of gets long and it's like no just think about long term and short term you know, your tactical is your day to day that's your now and your strategic is okay what do you what are you going to achieve in 10 years or 15 years you know um that's that was my reason to read that part this is the last sentence i'll read from the intro the book derives its title from the underlying principle, the mindset, that provides the foundation for all the rest, extreme ownership. Leaders must own everything in their world. There is no one else to blame. So going on to chapter one, sorry, called Extreme Ownership. This part was written by Jocko Willink. I'm going to read this beginning just to give you some context of where they're at and what's going on in this situation. Uh, the Malab District, Ramadi, Iraq, titled Fog of War. The early morning light was dimmed by a literal fog of war that filled the air. Suit from tires, the insurgents had set alight in the streets. Clouds of dust kicked up from the road by U.S. tanks and Humvees and powdered concrete from the walls of buildings pulverized by machine gun fire. As our armored 
Humvee rounded the corner and headed down the street toward the gunfire. I saw a U.S. M1A2 Abrams tank in the middle of the road up ahead. Its turret rotated with the huge main gun trained on a building at almost point-blank range. So you got to think about, I don't know the, the, the distance, but think, just think about tanks you've seen in, like, I mean, war movies. I mean, they're not so maybe accurate, but it gives you an idea. So imagine point-blank range with a tank. You know, it's one thing to do, you hear about point-blank range with a pistol or a rifle or even a shotgun. Now, you amplify that times 100 with a tank round. And, you know, I know our friend who, I'm not going to mention him because he's in the military, but he worked with a tank. You know, he remember he went through tank school and stuff? That's right, yeah. Um, definitely not going to mention his name. Uh, super cool guy. He's out in California. Hopefully, he he tunes in. Uh, maybe he'll enjoy pieces of this book if he hasn't uh, heard about him already. But, uh, yeah, just scale. And, and it's funny because, he, you know, he's a relatively smaller guy. Imagine, I mean, him in a tank, like those, I mean, it's, it's incredible what they do, you know, and what tanks can do, you know, potentially. So continue. Through the particle-filled air, I could see a smoky red mist, clearly from a red smoke grenade used by American forces in the area as a general sign for help. My mind was racing. This was our first major operation in Ramadi, and it was total chaos. Beyond the literal fog of war impeding our vision, the figurative fog of war, often attributed to Prussian military strategist Karl von Clausewitz, had descended upon us, and it was thick with confusion, inaccurate information, broken communications, and mayhem. So imagine that. I mean, this helps me when we deal with stuff with me and you, me and you, Eddie. Or like today, today at nine round, it was packed. Everybody's back from spring break, and you know everybody went to the livestock show and had some fried food. I had some fried food. It was fucking. It was delicious. It was great. But uh, you know, everybody was back, and it was packed, and. It was incredible. It was cool seeing it packed, but at some point, it's like you have to prioritize and execute. You know, it's, it's okay. It's not a fog. I'm not in war, but when you're running around, like you, you almost feel like a head with your head chopped, or a chicken with your head chopped off. I oh man, I, I, felt. I felt that way all the damn time when <laughs> I was when I was working at the restaurant. There and there's too many people, mm -hmm. um, or like that I don't have enough glasses for people at the bar, or, or something going wrong when there's too many people. And then yeah, then you have to really think about what you're doing that much harder yep so back to the book the operation had kicked off before sunrise and with the sun now creeping up over the horizon everyone was shooting the myriad of radio networks or nets used by the u.s ground and air units exploded with chatter and incoming reports details of u.s and iraqi troops wounded or killed came in from different sectors following them were reports of enemy fighters killed U.S. elements tried to decipher what was happening with other U.S. and Iraqi units in adjacent sectors. Unit Corps Anglico, which stands for Air Naval Gunfire Liaison Company, teams coordinated with American attack aircraft overhead in an effort to drop bombs on enemy, enemy positions. So I'm just giving more detail as far as this before we go into the actual principle. The way they broke up this book was they're going to give you the war story. The principle, which is what they learn in this first chapter, is extreme ownership, and then they'll give you how the, they'll give you the example of how either Leif or Jocko used it in a business situation. So moving forward now. So now they're shooting. Now there's actual like incoming fire. They're they're uh, trying to figure stuff out. You know, I can only imagine how imagine how a radio sounds at that moment, dude. Like, I mean, if 
let's say it's an operation of 100 men, you know, total, including Jocko back at base and stuff. It's it's um, it's pretty unimaginable for me at least. It's pretty unimaginable. So back, sorry. So let me go back to where he talks about they have the tank pointing at a building at blank range. So from there, they finally, uh, Jocko gets to one of the army guys, and then asks him some questions like, "Hey, you know, who's in that building? You do you know?" They eventually get to the to the point to where they thought it was the bad guy. They thought it was like the insurgents in that house, and Jocko basically didn't say directly but he basically sees his fire and him and another seal walk towards that building and so like according to the book where the marine and i guess the army guys they were like looking at him like suicidal like you know they they're thinking they're shooting at the bad guys so then they get to the door they walk in and with my right back to the book with my m4 rifle at the ready i kicked the door the rest of the way open only to find i was staring at one of my seal platoon chiefs he stared back at me in wide-eyed surprise. What happened? I asked him. So Muj entered the compound. Okay, Mu sorry, let me go back. So Muj is what they would call those the insurgents. The, it, that is, it's, a, it's a nickname. And they would call, like, even the Iraqis would call the Muj Muj. So uh, I know Jocko makes it known. Like, they're not, like, derogatory terms. They're just using the same terms that the Iraqis themselves use, the citizens themselves use. So Samuj entered the compound. We shot one of them, and they attacked hardcore. They brought it. I remembered what the gunny had just told me. One of their Iraqi soldiers had been shot when he entered the compound. So there was an exchange, and they, th I mean, now they're here. Jocko at that point was hearing this over the radio. So like, oh, one Muj is down. It turns out it happened to be, in essence, friendly fire. You know, friendly fire was what happened uh, in this in this situation. They finally uh, clear out that house. They find out, you know, it could have been disaster. They were planting bombs. They were, they were coordinating an attack on this house that happened to have American SEALs or U.S. troops and Iraqi, you know, uh, coalition forces. So inside the compound, the SEAL chief stared back at me, somewhat confused. He had no doubt wondered how I just how how I had just walked through the hellacious enemy attack to reach his building it was blue on blue I said to him blue on blue friendly fire fratricide the worst thing that could happen to be killed or wounded by enemy in battle was bad enough but to be accidentally killed or wounded by friendly fire because someone had screwed up was the most horrible fate it was also a, a, a reality I had heard the story of X-ray platoon in C from SEAL Team 1 in Vietnam. The squads had split up on a night patrol in the jungle, lost their bearings, and when they bumped into each other again in the darkness, they mistook each other for enemy and opened up with gunfire. A ferocious firefight ensued, leaving one of their own dead and several wounded. That was the last X-ray platoon in the SEAL teams. Henceforth, the name was banished. It was a curse and a lesson. Friendly fire was completely unacceptable in the SEAL teams. And now it had just happened to us, to my SEAL task unit. So here they they then realize, you know, it's a blue on blue. It's, you know, friendly fire. The SEAL chief says, what? Jocko replies, it was blue on blue, I said again, calmly and as a matter of fact. There was no time to debate, debate or discuss. There were real bad guys out there, 
and even as we spoke, sporadic gunfire could be heard all around us as sorry, all around as other elements engaged insurgents in the vicinity. So from here, they end up finding out okay who was hurt. So so some of the seals got hurt inside the house, and um, which could have been way worse. But luckily, they're able to evac everybody out. Um, uh, the guys in that house had just called for QRF, which is Quick Reaction Force, and uh, so they were there. You know, it was it's crazy how this these line of events just happened to end up like that, where Jocko just goes and it's like, shit. You know, like. That's another one of those instances that helps me live, you know, pretty peacefully. You know, we're not, we're not going through the situation. You know, not I would argue ninety five percent of the things happening in the United States on a day to day basis between people is very manageable, and you're able to fix it in some in some way. You know, you're not killing. Oh, for the most part, you're not killing each other. You know, the way these guys are, where there's just miscommunication and false information, and this. Some I've heard stories where this particular seal element, you know, a group of 40 guys ends up going a different route. But then that one guy who was supposed to relay it back radio didn't relay it back. And they turned into this just hectic, you know, because then like, oh, there's just 40, there's 40 guys missing. Or who are these people shooting at us? There's, there's supposed to be no one there. You know, that's where other things like that have happened. So then he walks upstairs because I guess one of the seal guys was upstairs. So he needed a compute. Com- uh, communicate with him. He's like, he reiterates, it was a blue on blue. I re- I replied bluntly. What? He asked, stunned. It was a blue on blue. I repeated, one Iraqi soldier, KIA, a few more wounded. One of my guys wounded, fragged in the face. Everyone else is okay by a miracle. Skipping for just a little bit, but we still had work to do and had to drive on. The operation continued. We conducted two more back-to-back missions cleared a large portion of the Malab district and killed dozens of insurgents the rest of the mission was a success but that didn't matter I felt sick one of my men was wounded an Iraqi soldier was dead and others were wounded we did it to ourselves and it happened under my command when we completed the last mission of the day I went to the battalion tactical operations center where I had my field computer to set up to receive email from higher headquarters I dreaded opening and answering the inevitable email inquiries about what had transpired. I wish I had died out on the battlefield. I felt that I deserved it. My email box, my email inbox was full. Word had rapidly spread that we had had a blue on blue. I opened an email from my commanding officer, CO, that went straight to the point. It read, shut down. Conduct no more operations. Investing officer, commanding master chief, and I are en route. In typical fashion for a Navy mishap, the CEO had appointed an investigating officer to determine the facts of what happened and who was responsible. As a day passed, I waited for the arrival of the investigating, investigating officer, our CEO, and commanding master's, master chief, the senior enlisted CEO at the command. In the meantime, they directed me to prepare a brief detailing what had happened. I knew what this meant. They were looking for someone to blame and most likely someone to relieve, quote unquote. The the military euphemism for someone to fire. So Jocko's preparing this brief and he talks about, dude, some of these operations, like he was talking like 200 PowerPoint slides. Woof. Yes, dude. We're. I mean, this is no college. Like, 
talk about amplified and intensified. You're worried about a college, you know, PowerPoint presentation being 45 minutes long or an hour and 15 minutes long. You know, these were, like I said, I guess this is more of a me thing maybe where I do take this literal. So when people tell me like smaller pity things, it's not, it's, it's cool. We can, I'll, I'll help you figure it out. I'm cool with helping you figure it out. You know, people now I, I'm not saying not to, I mean, there are dire situations that happen here in the United States, right? Fine. But I, I guess, like I said, it, I guess I'm just well aware of what's out there more now, not through experience, but through reading. I take, that's why I, re, I like, I, I guess I prefer reading nonfiction, nonfiction books. If you go to Jocko Podcast and every once in a while when he has Leif on or he has uh, Tim Kennedy, he's been on there once. And other guys, too, they talk about these briefs, you know, 100 slides. Two, I mean, these are not short slides by any means. And it's, you know, it's work. You know, it's, it's it, they had to talk about the who, what, where, when, and why to every extent of detail, you know, to make sure. And now going back to the chapter, you know, to make sure blue and blue don't happen. And it still happened just because that, that was the time. You know, it was early morning and whatever happened that there's the miscommunication someone missed something maybe or someone didn't say what they were supposed to you know what happened you know what happens so now they finally get to where the ceo the cmc which is the commanding the master chief they get there the investigating officer gets there a few minutes later i walked in to the platoon space where everyone was gathered to debrief the silence was deafening the ceo sat in the front row the CMC stood ominously in the back. The seal that had been wounded, fragged in the face by a 50 caliber round, was there, his face banged up, or bandaged up, sorry. I stood before the group. Whose fault was this? I asked to the room full of teammates. After a few moments of silence, the seal who had mistakenly engaged the Iraqi soldiers spoke out. It was my fault. I should have positively identified my target. No, I responded. It wasn't your fault. Whose fault was it? I asked the group again. It was my fault, said the radio man from the sniper element. I should have passed our position sooner. Wrong, I responded. It wasn't your fault. Whose fault was it? I asked again. It was my fault, said another SEAL, who was, at, who was a combat advisor with the Iraqi Army clearance team. I should have controlled the Iraqis and made sure they stayed in their sector. Negative, I said. You are not to blame. More of my SEALs were ready to explain what they had done wrong and how it had contributed to the failure. But I had heard enough. You know whose fault this is? You know who gets all the blame for this? The entire group sat there in silence, including the CEO, the CMC, and the investigating officer. No doubt they were wondering whom I would hold responsible. Finally, I took a deep breath and said, there's only one person to blame for this. Me. I am the commander. I am responsible for the entire operation. As the senior man, I am responsible for every action that takes place on the battlefield. There is no one to blame but me. And I will tell you this right now. I will make sure that nothing like this ever happens to us again. It was a heavy burden to bear, but it was the absolute... It was absolutely true. I was the leader. I was in charge. And I was responsible. Thus, I had to take ownership of everything that went wrong. Despite the tremendous blow to my reputation and to my ego, it was the right thing to do. The only thing to do. I apologized to the wounded seal. 
explaining that it was my fault he was wounded and that we were all lucky he wasn't dead. We then proceeded to go through the entire operation, piece by piece, identifying everything that happened and what we could do going forward to prevent it from happening again. So, given this up to up to now, you can see my intensity. Yeah. And why I am I I I feel while while I compartmentalize when I'm into something, it's like, yeah, it's it's more than a hell yeah. Most times, like fuck yeah, like let's go do it, you know. And and for me, it's more of the action. And uh, I can tie this to Gary V a little bit, um, as far as he always talks about doing, going, putting in the hard work. But for me, I for me, I'm able to do it or use it like this. You know, the way Jocko and Leif write this book, besides them taking ownership and and the principles, is also the way they wrote it, that I think has now helped intensify my character. And 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 I, I do get some a little bit of heat, especially at the gym, but I get pretty fired up. Now I mean I use that word I use that little phrase more now than ever. And funny thing is, even Gary Vee uses that a lot. He's like, Oh I'm I'm fired up, man, whatever. Like I I've heard a few interviews coming up or lately and uh he'll talk like, you know, I'm i I'm just fired up and like now I see that in myself. Like I guess now I have something to to put to what I feel. You know, like when I say I'm fired up, well, I'm I'm probably I'm probably pretty fired up. You know, till I start getting busy, and then one of the clients like, you know, well, oh no, this was the other day. Sorry. So the other day, I think it was Thursday, she was like, "Why are you being so mean?" I'm like, "No, I'm just fired up. Like you, just get to work. You know, just do it." And you know, and it's funny hearing some of the same excuses every day that I, most Mondays and Fridays, I just do not put up with it. I I fr- I frankly don't. I, and it, and this goes beyond the the maybe the war stories that i've read but it's like come on you're here already i've I've talked about this you know you're here already let's let's work you know i'm i'm not here to pity you um a lot of people want pity and i'm not here to do that um um, someone gave me a comment the other day too where it was along the lines of tell me the truth i'm like well don't you want the truth (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, like, but they, but they said it like in a sarcastic way. Like, it, it wasn't till then, like, in, and I, I, and I want the truth. It was like, you know, they wanted that pity answer. Like, oh no, it's okay. I'm like, I'm not gonna give you that. You know, does that make sense? Like, I mean, I hope I'm not talking to the breeze here. No, nah, like, but I, I had a similar experience. I don't know if I've talked about it yet, but I had a, sim- a similar experience with a uh, a new student of mine. We're only about like three lessons deep, mm-hmm. but the first lesson she came in. And was just kind of, it was a really strange lesson for me. It it was very off. It was very different from every other lesson I've ever had, um, or that I've ever taught, rather. Um, different in the sense that, so usually when, you know, when we're vocalizing and we're going through vocal exercises, I'll play it on the piano and demonstrate at the same time. And then without missing a beat, I expect the student to follow in on the next turn, mm-hmm. right? And so let's say it's just like, you know, or whatever, you yeah, know, yeah, just like yeah. a yeah. quick up and Start, down lip yeah. trill or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, so I'll play that and then boom, your turn, go. And then we're off and that's it. And this student would just not let me demonstrate shit. Like she, um, she was just like, just all over the place trying to do her own thing. And I had to just like stop her. I was like, no, that's not, not how this goes. And, and like. I had to I had to stop her and and like like just kind of make her catch herself mm-hmm. like several times, 
And it was extremely annoying because it, when I mean like several times, I mean I had to do this like throughout the whole entire the lesson. hour lesson. Oh, hour lesson. <laughs> yeah. And like to the point where like, you know, it's been three lessons and we haven't gotten to a song. And and like, uh, you know, and she's at the point now like, well, like be honest with me. I had to sound like, do I sound like a karaoke singer? Ha, 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 ha. And I was just like, well, I don't know what you sound like because you keep like going over what I'm like, you know, or you keep interrupting what I'm trying to show you. Mm-hmm. And you're just not letting me do my job, like quite honestly. Right. And I was just like, kind of pissed about it. And, and and like naturally, I had to, like you know, put my anger aside and just kind of tell her, very you know, bluntly, unemotionally, like you're not letting me do my job. I have no opinion over your voice right now because you have not let me give you one, or you have not let me hear your right your voice. Right. You know. In context, outside the warm-ups. So frustrating. <laughs> But then she she has kept on since then, like just searching for, you know, a compliment. You just fishing and fishing and fishing, and what eventually got to the point where I told her I was like, okay, like look, like you're doing better on the exercises and whatnot. Here's what I think the plan is for you. You're having a very hard time hearing and executing the pitch. Like your your ear hears the pitch and your voice wants to do something else, mm. which is fine. I'm not making fun of you. You're not tone yeah, deaf. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, you know, you're not tone deaf. Like you can you can do this. It's just gonna take more work. Okay, so it, it that's all it's gonna be. It's gonna be more work. So what are we gonna do? You're gonna come in. You're gonna listen to the exercises I'm gonna play you, and you're gonna do it until you can get them right on pitch every time. Cause unless you can do that. We can't move on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, and, and she wants to do her her um her cover video thing on YouTube and all that, and she's like, I'm thinking about starting with this song, this song, this song, whatever. And I was like, What purpose do you have behind the YouTube thing? She's like, Why? Well, I, I like, you know, I want to get views, I want to get hits. I was like, You want it to be successful? And she goes, Yeah. And I was like, Okay, my advice to you, which you're paying me for, by the way. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> At least right. you forget the advice you're paying me for. Like my advice to you is don't do anything yet let's not start a song let's make sure that your vocal muscles work the way they need to work and that they pair up with your ear the way they need to pair up so that you can actually sing a song without you know people going on youtube clicking dislike and you getting discouraged and never ever doing this again yeah like just straight up i mean right no absolutely i think definitely something like that is where I'd also agreed as far as like my sternness, dude, like now I feel like depending on the age would of course vary my stern, you know, how stern I am with, with a person, but something like that, you know, she's old enough to like, Hey, you know, it's not now I'm going to, I wrote this topic down cause I'm going to bring that up. Cause I just watched a Gary V video today, uh, dealing with YouTube and going viral and these, you know, this next generation. And I've been pondering a lot on the next generation, which I'm also going to bring up on this next episode episode 11 sorry i'll bring up but uh yeah no yeah absolutely as far as just uh having to tell your student like hold on let's stop i know we've had instances where it's like okay let, hold on we're talking here we're the what we have to say is more important than the song at the moment you know at the at the moment you know whatever we have to fix as a band you know whatever we, we've had to fix it's like okay let's let's, let's stop you know and get this stuff figured out <clears throat> let me go back to the book real quick so so I just wrapped up what happened for the war, the war part of the story. So blue on blue, he then had to make a PowerPoint briefing to tell the investigating officer and his commanding officers um, what what exactly happened. Now I'm gonna go into the principle, which is extreme ownership. On any team, 
in any organization, all responsibility for success and failure rests with the leader. The leader must own everything in his or her world. There is no one else to blame. The leader must acknowledge mistakes and admit failures, take ownership of them, and develop a plan to win. The best leaders don't just take responsibility for their job. They take extreme ownership of everything that impacts their mission. <laughs> to, for me, that part, extreme ownership, besides saying, oh, I'm owning this. It's like, okay, well, what's your plan? How are you going to fix it? Like, or, or, you know, I feel maybe this book is so relevant, but there's going to have to be, for the next generation, it's going to have to be written a new way because everybody gets those memes on social media. Like, oh, go out and do it. Oh, yeah, today I'm going to go out and do it. Or, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post a meme about how I'm going to go out and do it and then not do anything. And it, and it goes for everything which is from exercise to at for for the valley i haven't seen anybody do small business ventures outside brian brian's like he's for the people who are, who listen to this like you don't understand brian's onto something just like eddie's onto something and i see that i already see that people are so worried about getting 100 likes they're wor- they're not worried enough about their macro plans see it's funny you say that because i should be worried about my hundred likes. <laughs> right. But uh, that affects the job. Right. Well, no, that affects like my branding and everything right, I have to right. do. That's not musical, but that pertains to um, building and business. sustaining a career in, in music, right. In the field of the business, mm-hmm. uh, as far as that goes. So anyway, just funny. You can go. No, ahead. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's just, that's just like, I, I just wanted to read that little part of the intro to the principal section. As far as, you know, they take ownership of everything. Um, there was one particular podcast that I know we listened to, uh, on our way back from Lubbock, it was a Jocko. I, I think it was the one for that week. And uh, this manager of, a, I think it was a construction company, and he's like, I'm taking ownership, but I think his guys still weren't listening to him or something. There's something going on with that. And I think the answer was, I, I need to go back, but I think the answer was, go ahead. And I know what you're talking about, but um, you go ahead and wrap that up. No, I was just going to say, like, we're, you know, he, he needed to regain the trust and to regain the trust you need to do you know you need to besides saying oh i'm i'm owning up to this mistake oh we lost 10 grand for whatever project it's like okay so what are you doing to ensure that doesn't happen again you know it's wanting to say like oh sorry guys it's my fault sorry guys my fault eventually you're going to say that you're not going to change your character or your actions so then your your boss can say oh it's just my boss fault like he always it, it's his fault so i'm good i'm good to go you know where the case might be the employee maybe it's one employee that that Miss something now. Now I'm not saying <clears throat> not to take ownership. I'm saying okay, that's where the coaching comes in. That's where training, com- retraining, whatever it is. Um, now there's only so many strikes you get. Fine, but that's where I that's where I tell that into. And as far as like saying you're taking ownership of something versus you know retraining yourself. Maybe you have to retrain yourself. You know, and I guess maybe smaller example like let's say Eddie with you with like pra- practicing your vocals mm-hmm. kind of re- just retrain just rebooting you know getting let's say we're let's say we're off for a month and you, but you're going to continue just kind of going through hey Jamie maybe we have a lesson this month you know with Jamie maybe you call I him up. hey man you know whatever <clears throat> so stuff like that you know it's one thing to say oh hey guys sorry it's my fault okay so what's the plan that's something I would ask my chain of command because I now I always ask you questions Eddie and mm. I but I do it way more intentionally than not now some of the questions i may know i knew i may know what you're gonna say just because i know you well 
but it's and it's so funny how it goes back to like school like we're talking like elementary and like middle school and high school where it's like oh guys ask me questions i always ask questions and like no one ever did especially in elementary more than ever and it's so and, true you know and i i just tied that in right now but it's like no i ask all the questions and one time i'll i'll, I'll mention this you smirked at one time that i asked you a question because you're like Man, it may be common sense, but I need it to be said out loud. Yeah. I need it to be said out loud. You know, no, and I totally agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, but, what was it, though? The what? Well, what was the, the comment I smirked at or the question oh, I smirked it, at? Honestly, it had to do with – I don't know if we like, we want we were going to stop on the beat or if we were going to like, – I don't remember. It was in a rehearsal, and I said oh, – or maybe it was a chord change. I honestly don't remember, but I do remember the, spurt, the smirk. <laughs> and and I but I caught it and that's something I've also developed that I, we'll go into another day because today I just want to focus on the chapter one which is extreme ownership, but but I saw it and cause I asked you a question and it was a simple question I'm not I'm not denying it was a simple question but I asked it on purpose. I would totally agree with you though that it does need to be said out loud. <laughs> <laughs> it al- always does, um, absolutely 110 percent always does. Here's a scenario for you um, because. I feel like I've, I've caught enough Jocko podcasts to realize now that there is no getting around the statement that the leader has to take extreme ownership. There, there's just, there's no ifs or ands or buts. It's always going to come back to the leader. Always, 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 always. There's no getting around it. Right. So let me throw you a scenario here. Okay. So, sorry, I'm going to pick on JJ a bit. Uh, <laughs> JJ, bass player in my band. Um uh, that Andy plays in with me. If you um, are just tuning into this podcast <laughs> now and have not been listening to the last nine episodes, but either way. Um, so JJ, our bass player, he on uh, this uh, one new song we've been doing uh, of mine called mercy that I wrote a few months back. Uh, we worked it up pretty recently. We started playing it out at our live shows and uh, we played it at our gig when we played uh, opening up for um, cafe. I'm going to say that right now instead of coffee, <laughs> cafe Anderson, um, at the livestock show here um, in the valley in Mercedes, and so we're playing this song, and JJ has a as a significant part in the beginning that that really stands out um, on his instrument. So if he if he messes up, like it's it's very audible to anyone that knows musically what's going on. Right. Maybe, maybe not to the you know to, to the general the average ear. listener. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Ge- the general listener. Right. But um, but yeah, very obvious. Uh, and he like just yeah yeah. <laughs> Not to pick on him, JJ. Sorry if you're yeah, listening. Yeah. You still have a job. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Um, I'm not mad. But um, you know, he just totally botched like a series of like ten notes, and it was just like like vomit inducing. I was like, no, right, right. Why'd right. you do that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, I get it. Shit happens. But so that would be maybe a, a scenario where um, uh, someone from the outside, like maybe I'd, I'd be explaining what happened to, and they'd be like, well, then JJ fucked up, and he needs to like take responsibility and go back and learn the song, and I'd be like, yeah. I agree, but it's still on me. Yeah, like yes. it's it's still on me. And then um, I forget. Well, not that I forget. I'm just not going to mention who I was having this conversation with. And I was saying, you're right. He did fuck up, and I'm sure he feels bad about it. Um, otherwise, I'd be pissed. Um, mm-hmm. But I know he feels bad about it, so I'm not pissed. Um, and I know he'll do better next time, or just won't mess up as bad. But um, you know, they're like, but why do you say like it's on you? It's not on you. It's on him. It's like no, like it's on me. Like, we either, A, didn't rehearse the song enough to where he felt 110% comfortable, mm-hmm. or I didn't pick a, a good player for the team that's, like, contributing in a good way. Like, maybe I just picked, like, a bad player, and he just can't do it, and then I need to replace him. So, like, but either, like, if that's a very ex- extreme case, mm-hmm. right? It's a mm-hmm. very extreme side of the, um, of the spectrum there. But if that's what it would come down to, either way, it falls back on me. Right. Like, you know. That's just, what I would say. 
Yeah. Because, okay, that happened. Now, on stage, we we need, and I think we did, we've done better. We're we're doing better. We're not that we've done better. We're doing better. We are progressing. But on stage, and this is myself included. You know, keep playing, not turn back. I know I say it. Sometimes I'll say during rehearsal, and then I forget myself. I, I it happens sometimes, where it's like ah, someone missing, you know, so someone missed a note, whatever, whatever. So in this case, is also is to then JJ messed up. Okay, once we get the videos out, because your mom recorded this show as well. Mm-hmm. So once we get the videos out, that's when the note taking needs to happen from all of us. And I said this to you, and I'm I'm just guilty of like not falling through, but I feel like. There's a transition going on right now, so it it's just trying to find the rebalance of what's going on, especially for my weekly schedule. It's changed again, so um, things are changing. So, but anyways, so when you text me that, because you had texted me about that too, and and we we had talked about like what 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 should have maybe been done, you know, in that situation, like on stage, what should have been done, and for his case, for him, maybe he should have stopped playing, maybe. Next thing is. On, and I've said this to Eddie. He's like, uh, I was taught not to stop playing, for and it, it's so and and hearing those wrong notes, it's it's kind of hard to deal with now, because we don't want to play wrong notes, but yet, I was taught not to stop playing. So it's like, well, let's just keep <laughs> playing wrong notes, which is yeah. weird. You know, it's it's weird. It's an interesting, just reference, not even dichotomy. It's just a reference of, of of observation, as far as what I was taught to do. Well, like for me, okay, so we have very differing opinions on on um, on what we would have done in the situation, um, because uh, just to clarify for everyone, I said that if I was JJ in that experience, um, knowing that I was just kind of messing up left and right all over the place, like you know more than five notes in a row that are standing out um, very loudly, I would have just stopped and come in on the next like on the next full entrance or right. whatever. Mm-hmm. And then while well, Andy's saying that he was taught to never stop playing, to just keep going and roll with it, which well, is yeah, uh, right. which is also what I was taught, and also something I would I would do. So the way I think about it, though, just um, as we're book reviewing this extreme mm-hmm. ownership, prioritize and execute. Okay, so what's the priority? Um, the priority at this point of the song is to get through the first verse, and then to get us into the next verse, or at least the second half of the ne- of the of, yeah, the, of the first part, verse, right. right, of the next part where the full band comes in. Now. Again, for more clarification, this part that JJ just um, just kind of missed all these notes over is very loud because it's it's kind of a solo part for him. Yeah, it's, it's just him and you. Yeah, it's just it's just me and him, right? Um, over this part, and so um, in my situation, okay, like, well, what's the priority? Well, I can drop out and just let the front man, the lead singer, do his thing with the guitar and the vocal, and let the lyrics shine through, and then just resettle and come back in with the full band. So I guess in my mind. Now that I'm breaking it down, mm-hmm. it's just right, a, right, a matter yeah. of the prioritize and mm-hmm. execute. What's the priority? Right. The priority is not for me to miss the notes. It's for it's it's or for it. Th- his part is very secondary to that section. To that part, yeah. right now. Okay, now I'm gonna, now I'm gonna throw this back to you because now we're having we're gonna have a little just a tiny conversation. Is have you told him that yet? I have not. So see that that would be the next step as far as taking ownership, developing a plan, and then proceeding. Because uh, we talked about it. We talked about it as soon as it happened. We heard Then we heard back in the video, it's like, okay, this stuff happened, you know, whatever. Uh, but see, that would, now I'm telling into that next step. That's that's falling, that's going through with the extreme ownership. True, that makes true. Sense? Um, and, I, and I guess, like, the music part, um, everyone handles making mistakes differently. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, that's another thing. Yes. I know I've, I've, I've um, 
uh, okay, to be specific on that, um, I'm talking about after, like when we're talking about mistakes after, um, generally good musicians or great musicians or whatever don't point out like other musicians mistakes like i don't go up to andy after every show and be like hey you fucked up here and here and here and i've got this full detailed list of yeah, where and usually how usually i'm like up. i missed this i missed this i missed this like you kn- you know yeah, what you missed yeah, miss- you played it i don't have right. to tell you yeah, exactly. are you gonna fix it right more likely than yeah. not yeah right, right so like and and that's generally how every um you know um worthy musician is or credible musician is they don't go and poke fun of other people's mistakes mm-hmm. or um, or call them out on their shit. They're usually dealing with their own and they expect others not to call them out on their own because we're expected to know on, on our own and then go back and yeah, fix yeah. it. Now, if JJ were to make this mistake four times in a row, four gigs in a row, then it'd be like, you know, okay, it's time to sit down and, yeah. and, and let's talk about this. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like even now, before the next gig, you, before you let the next gig, ha- gig happens, as far as if we ever play that song again, or whenever we play that song again, is to hey JJ, this is what I would do in this situation. Give it a try. If you and and he can actually use that on any song. You know, let's say he has, something happens. Hey, dude, drop out. You know, he slid out before. He's you know he he'll do that that next slide thing, and it just kind of bump. Cool, that happens. And I've heard it where he misses a he'll miss one note and he'll bump out and then come back in like you know yep. you know and that's that's cool because while we know it's like oh JJ you missed a note but. But when you hear it from the house, but when you hear it from the house, it's not as bad. Right. Now, everybody, and when I got, because uh, that was that show was on a Saturday. Yes. So that Monday, we had, I had some friends from the gym I'm at go watch us and whatever. And like, hey, like, how, you know, good job, whatever. And I told, I told them, thank you for going out for sure. But then they asked me, of course, on my take. I'm like, well, this stuff happened. And they're like, oh, you're 200. So I'm like, yeah, but I don't, I don't mean to sound like this but i give a shit <laughs> you know yeah. like i don't want to sound if i'm on if i'm in doubt on stage i don't want that now things happened it couldn't be helped i eventually told this, this the sound guy the mon- uh, the engineer i told him don't do don't worry about it you know all i had to, all i could do was just hope i was in pitch and go back to my muscle memory and you're, just, you're talking and, about how the monitor went out yeah, and that's yeah, the yeah, situation yeah. Yeah. right yeah yeah and uh and i i I didn't necessarily say that only because to leave it general is like stuff happens. It's okay. You roll with and, it and and roll with it. But also that made me just have to be more in tune, like with myself in tune, not, not literally with a tuner more engaged with my hearing, make sure like I'm listening to the right things, you know, not being too worried about anything secondary. You know, I had to make sure my guitars and both my guitars are in tune. My vocals, I was praying to God that I was in pitch because it's one thing to hear your guitar on an app. It's another thing for you to be singing out with no, no wall in front of you and not hearing any type of rebound. You know, it's any scary rebound, you know? shit. And what the cool thing is that lately I've been doing less and less of uh, – I've been putting less and less of me in my monitor. And I'll, I'll progress – depending on the venue, I'll progress it depending on how much reverb's in the room. Um, but that's helped me for those outdoor gigs. So – um, it's still a long ways away from where I want it, but the thing is to, you have to, it's one thing, it's also, there's, there's another thing that I'm going to bring up real quick. I, we need to get back to the book. Um, we're doing pretty good, but um, it's one thing to like practice in a room and then like practice outside, Yeah. You know, like like outdoor gigs. And then, cause outdoor gigs, you deal with tuning, you do with so many things. And my favorite example is even Wade Bowen's guitars goes out of tune. Uh, one time I saw him at Bruce Street. It was him doing the Hold My Beer and Watch This with Randy Rogers, and his guitar would not stay in tune. It was the rebel of the night. <laughs> it was it was incredible. <laughs> He's like, and and usually for people who just 
listening to the music or they go to a live show and they don't really pay attention, watch the players. At least maybe for one song. Just make it a point to listen to one or watch them for one song. Not listen, just watch them. Because you'll catch when something's going on. Like if something, maybe someone in the background is running around. Or um, I know Eddie does it really well where you're singing and you tune. You know, you sing in tune. And that's very more applicable in a full band setting than when you're acoustic, when you're playing by yourself. So in this case, wait, going back to Wade Bowen real quick, is uh, that. Like, his guitar wouldn't stay in tune, so he had to stop. He's like, okay, guys, I'm sorry. I need, I need, you know, it's just not staying in tune tonight. You know, and knowing Wade, he probably rolled with it really well, and he made a big joke out of it and was just laughing about it the entire time, and everyone felt the same way. And it was fine. It, it was, was fine. fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was fine. And uh, But those are cool little, just little things of how... You know, everybody's like, oh, you're, you're like, I've gotten asked now, and I, I, I don't know how to feel about it because it, it's, I don't, I don't like it, so I need to change something. But like, oh, have you been? Are you in the military? I'm like, no. Have you ever been in the military? No. You know, I have all those notes. Cause I, I have not been. Now I've had family. You know, Eddie's been in my room. You know, I have stuff here that's, you know, military. Cause I've had family in military. You know, in the military. Um, but I guess because I do take, I do appreciate their, their uh, sacrifice. Um, sacrifice is a word that's taken too lightly sometimes and people don't understand that. Now, a lot of people do, but I feel like the majority don't and they just like, oh yeah, and they kind of, they're real passive about it. Maybe passive is the right word, the better word. Just, they're real passive about what the military does, what the police do, what firefighters do. The other day, um, Sunday, uh, I went to Subway and then some couple firefighters walked in and I got them their meals. Like, that was it. And it's not about the good gesture. It's about what they do. That's all I give a shit about. I, if my house is on fire, I hope they get there as fast as fucking possible. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's what I think about. A lot of, this is too much, of a, too much of a tangent on my end. But a lot of people are too worried about, and we've talked about this, where, you know, what can you do for me? You know, like, it, it's beyond that. It's like, no, like, they, save, they, save, they potentially save lives every day. If the need arises, they're going to be the ones that go in and save you. And that's what I worry. That's what I'm like preoccupied about. I'm not like, oh, I'm going to buy you this. So what are you going to give me back? Well, either way, I'm going to buy you this and hope you have a good meal and have a good day because you're a firefighter. So there's potential that you're going to go have to put out a fire that, you know, then blazes out a home for a family. And now they're homeless, you know. See, and you have a very healthy perspective on the term of uh, on the terms of their sacrifice and what and what those um, servicemen and women do. And uh, and I feel like. A lot of times nowadays, it's just like the like the sacrifice thing. It's thrown out so loosely. It's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we we love you guys. We love <laughs> you. We get it. We get what you do. And that's just, it's just so loosely thrown around. Yeah. Or worse, it's like taken advantage of for like for gain. Like, um, you know, not to you know stick on like picking on the president or whatever. But I felt kind of like just weirded out by how at like one conference that he had recently, I guess when he was addressing the Senate or something. Um, or Congress or whatever, he um, like had to bring up, you know, the the seal who had died and, and all that. And I mm. get that, like, it's a big, like, you know, pay your respects kind of thing. But just the way he did it, I was just kind of like, dude, like, you're totally doing this for your own fucking personal gain right yeah. now. It doesn't even feel sincere. Mm -hmm. There's you know? one thing that uh, Gary Reeb brings up as part of being uh, genuine and true that I'll bring up on for next week's episode. Cool deal. Um, but that's that. I don't disagree with that because it's part of an agenda. Yes. It's not genuine, and that's what pisses me off, you know, whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get over that hump. You know, it, it's something like that. I mean, honestly, I guess I, I don't watch TV. And to make it known, I, I disconnected Netflix in my household. Like, it does not exist here. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
people are going batshit crazy in my house. Like, oh my God, what am I going to do without Netflix? I'm like, you're going to read a book. <laughs> Damn, that's great. So, but, uh, but that's me. That's my personal level. This is my house, you know, a household that I'm a part of. But another thing as far as uh, what I practice is explaining your why and letting the people know about your direction. Uh, now, while some agent, some personal value should be a part of it, it shouldn't be in a greed fashion. And I guess I'm gonna stop there. I'm, I want to go back to the book. We're we're almost done with chapter one. It's, it's, I think we've we've also talked about some pretty cool stuff. I mean, we some mm-hmm. good stuff. Some perspective as far as my take on what I do day to day, and what's then propelled me to read more books and want to have as much knowledge as possible. For sure. Anyway, we rode that tangent train all the way to California <laughs> yeah. and back. Go ahead, continue. Let's, let's go back to the book. So, uh, telling in the principle, moving forward, uh, if an individual on the team is not performing at the level required for the team to succeed, the leader must train and mentor that underperformer. But if the underperformer continually fails to meet standards, then a leader who exercises extreme ownership must be loyal to the team and the mission above any individual. If underperformers cannot improve, the leader must make the tough call to terminate them and hire others who can get the job done. It is all on the leader. And that ties directly back to <laughs> the tangent we part of the tangent about ride that. we and, just did. And, and uh, one thing I'm going to say real quick, side note, is that this episode, usually the other episodes, I, I at least have questions that I want to bring up to the guys. This one, uh, because of the situation with our with our schedules where we weren't able to meet this week, which is really cool because that to me that just says we're busy and that's good. I love it. I love that we're busy. I love that we're busy as hell. Today's Monday. This will be out on Thursday. Next Sunday, we'll record again. We'll have the next episode out. You know, it's gonna be great. Um, that was one thing that I took away yesterday when we when I acknowledged, hey, hey guys, that that's not that's not due today. Not gonna be able to as as a group. You know, a group of three. Today, Brian's like, hey man, still can't do it. I'm like, cool. I'm like, hey, Eddie, I have this idea. Would you be down? And now we're here. You know, it's it's in the evening, the late evening, late. Well, it's night now. It's fucking, what? It's 11 o'clock, which is cool. Um, but to me, I just love that because our schedules don't meet, that just means we're busy. And that to me, that's good. We need to be busy. Now, as long as we're good busy, that's good. Yes. But but because I know you guys and you guys know me, I have I would argue to anybody that you know we're good busy at this moment in time you know th- this month you know closing out March anyways back to the book as individuals we often attribute the success of others to luck or circumstances and make excuses for our own failures and the failures of our team we blame our own performance on bad luck circumstances beyond our control or poorly performing subordinates anyone but ourselves Total responsibility for failure is a difficult thing to accept, and taking ownership when things go wrong requires extraordinary humility and courage. But doing just that is an absolute necessity to learning, growing as a leader, and improving on a team's performance. Extreme ownership requires leaders to look at an organization's problems through the objective lens of reality without emotional attachment to agendas or plans. It mandates that a leader set ego aside, accept responsibility for failures, attack weaknesses, and consistently work to build a better and more effective team. Such a leader, however, does not take credit for his or her team's successes, but bestows that honor upon his subordinate 
leaders and team members. When a leader sets such an example and expects this from junior leaders within the team, the mindset develops into the team's culture at every level. With extreme ownership, junior leaders take charge of their smaller teams and their piece of the mission. Efficiency and effectiveness increase exponentially and a high-performance winning team is the result. I've talked about efficiency and effectiveness. Uh, go back. I think it's episode eight. I don't remember. It's it's, it's there. I put it. I, it's for sure in the show notes, so you can find which episode it is. But I've talked about being efficient and effective. You know, did you get it done? Yes. Now, how good did you do it? Um, I've talked about that. And you got something? No. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I know for me in the band setting, where we are responsible for our own things. So, like, if I had a tech, then I'd have somebody under under me. In our case, in our I guess in a band case. You know, it's everybody is a, is potentially a leader, potentially. And I say that very strongly because we've been in those experiences where that's not the case, which is fine. You know, uh, some people go that route. Some people don't. And for the people who do go that route, it's your job to then lead the others. And I also take that very seriously in everything that I do, um, whether it's my household, you know, no Netflix. Um, nine round with the people I work with. Eddie and the band um, asking questions and you know another thing besides asking questions is knowing when to listen also you know there's 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 a there's a dichotomy and you can ask so many questions but you know know when to listen as well Uh, especially in our case where it's Eddie at number one and then tier two would be the rest of us essentially and even then I would I would kind of argue where Gonzo's kind of kind of tier two because he's in charge of the Met hopefully when we all get on ears um, you know it's be it's you guys primary and then the rest of us are there and you know and even then it's it's still my job to ask questions up and ask questions to the guys and then bring my value bring what i have bring, bring what i can to the table to then ensure that our shows are the best they can possibly be from my end you know um there's only some like jj miss notes i can't do anything about that all we can do is then train them up you know get them ready for the next one Say, give them some, some, give them some suggestions, and then keep going. You know, keep moving, but but stay on them for those things. Like, hey man, you missed it again, or hey man, good job. Now, there's one thing to to find all the weaknesses and negative stuff. It's another thing to also give praise. Like, hey man, great job tonight. Fucking killed it. You killed it. Cool. And then we move forward. And, and vibes are good. The road, the the trip home's pleasant. You know, we're, yeah. it's all good. You know, that all that tells in. And a lot of people, do, I don't think, realize like. Especially when you work at, a, let's say, in a group situation such as a band. But otherwise, if you travel, if you do any type of traveling together um, where you maybe you explode and then the ride or the flight, wherever you're going, <laughs> I can, it, it can only be terrible. There's no way it can be good. You know, I, I don't believe so. The only way it would be good is for me to put my headphones on and not listen to anybody <laughs> for the rest of the trip, you know, essentially. Well, and what did I say? Like, like one of the first times we all, like, every trip together, I was like, all right, I've got these earplugs. If you want privacy, plug them in your ear holes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's the only way yeah. you're going to get privacy. Yeah. But, yeah. Which is really cool. Um, <clears throat> okay, moving forward. So that last piece that I read uh, was the end of the principal section, just giving the layout, the definition of what extreme ownership is, um, how Leif and Jocko have used it, and then uh, now we're going to apply it. Application to business is the next piece of this chapter. And let me read the first, just the first paragraph. The vice president's plan looked good on paper. The board of directors had approved the plan the previous year and thought it could decrease production costs, but it wasn't working. And the board wanted to find out why. 
Who was at fault? Who was to blame? So now they're in this company. It's a, I believe a manufacturing company. Um, they hired Jocko in this situation. They hired Jocko uh, and Leif. Now, side note real quick. Uh, Jocko and Leif have a company called Echelon Front, which is a business consulting company. So they use this book essentially. Because I've heard, honestly, I've heard on like uh, Business Insider and stuff. It's everything that's in the book. So I, I don't listen to those anymore because I don't need them. Like, I have the book to reference, you know, like, oh, listen to Jocko. Now, he's been doing some cool Facebook Live stuff lately that's different, which is cool. But as far as, like, all the business insiders, um, stuff like that, stuff relevant to business, it's in the book. So, honestly, like, and he, he even mentions it. He's like, we charge a lot for to go to companies. It's like, buy the book and implement it. Like, he gives, and that's, you're going to spend, let's say, 30 bucks on a book. We're going to pay him. I remember my one of my professors. He charged. It wasn't under three grand for seventy-two hours of work. That's three days of work. So a grand a day. But you know, but some people need to be told this shit to their face. Right, 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 right. Like, mm-hmm. and and I would be one of those people sometimes. <laughs> not, not all times, but sometimes I need shit told to my face. Okay. Like I could have you read this to me and then like and or 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 let me back up for a second so when you when we had just started recording this and you're reading it to me or not reading it to me you're reading yeah, it to the reading podcast it. right 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 look at me being all selfish but um <laughs> Check that but angle. like but you've like Chapter mentioned two. the book before and why well, I've listened to Jocko before but it had a more profound effect on me as you're reading through mm-hmm. the actual book itself yeah, yeah. so it's just uh that's you good. know small scale example of just some people need to be told this shit that's fair and that's fair and and that's funny thing. Let me let me side note. Oh, let me let me let me branch out what you just said. Some some CEOs hire Jocko and Leif, and they go in. They expect Jocko to be like complete like drill sergeant, and he's like no. And this is my favorite reason. There's multiple reasons. My favorite reason is that you're working with human beings, and I've talked about human beings slightly. I'm gonna bring it up again on next week's podcast because I've 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 had this week's podcast prepared, but because Brian because the schedule is conflicted, didn't work. It's still, we're still going to cover it. It's not going to, it's not disappearing. It's, it's on my journal. Um, but, um, sorry, going back to just Jocko and them when they get hired out to a company and because they're ex Navy SEALs, blah, blah, blah. CEOs think like, Oh, they're going to come in and like, just tear these guys apart. They're going to whip my employees. Yeah. They're going to shake. Ex- that's exactly what they say. No, they're, you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. So, uh, so going back to the book, so it's a VP. They're in the business. Um, so they're trying, they're trying to find why this plan isn't working. So going to his plan. So his plan included the following consolidate manufacturing plants to eliminate redundancy, increase worker productivity through an incentive bonus program and streamline the manufacturing process. The problem arose in the plan's execution at each quarterly board meeting the vp delivered a myriad of excuses as to why why so little of his plan had been executed after a year the board wondered if he could effectively lead this change with little progress to show the vp's job was now at risk so now i and it didn't say if the vp called him in or the ceo called called jocko and lathan but either way he's there they had jocko then directly work with his vp so now VP, the VP is meeting Jocko and he asks, so you're here to help me, right? The VP inquired, knowing that due to ego, some people 
bristle at the idea of criticism and coaching, no matter how constructive, I chose to, ch to take a more indirect approach. M Here's Jocko. Maybe not so much here to help you, but here to help the situation, I answered, effectively lowering the VP's defenses. So instead of saying, well, it's your fault, take extreme ownership, it's like, well, we're here to figure it out. Whatever the problem is, we're here to figure it out. I, I feel like I, again, another thing that I, um, I purposely say on purpose, I, I purposely say on purpose, I purposely say is like, I'm not, I don't know the answer, but we can probably find a solution. If we talk, if we ask enough questions, the right questions, we can probably find a solution. So that's what Jocko essentially did here. You know, maybe not so much here to help you, but here to help the situation, whatever the conflict is. In this case, that plan that's not working. So skipping forward now, they're going, they're going through the, the, all these things I told you about the incentive program, the streamline. And here's, here's the next part. Finally, when it came to the VP's plan to streamline the manufacturing process, the pushback was universal and straight from the classic mantra of anti-change. We have always done it this way. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, so then Jocko, Jocko asks, what does the board think of these reasons? I asked as we discussed the upcoming annual board meeting. They listen, but I don't think they really understand them. And they have been hearing the same reasons for a while now. So I think they're getting frustrated. I don't know if they believe them anymore. They sound like excuses. I finished the sentence for the VP knowing the word itself was was a big blow to his ego. Yes. Yes, they sound like excuses, but these are real and legitimate, insisted the VP. Could there be other reasons your plan wasn't successfully successfully executed, I asked? Absolutely, the VP answered. The market has been tough. New technology advancements have taken some time to work through. Everyone got focused on some products that never really amounted to much. So, yes, there are a host of reasons. Those are those all may be factors, but there is one most important reason why this plan has failed, I said. <clears throat> what reason is that? The VP inquired with interest. I paused for a moment to see if the VP was ready for what I had to tell him. The impact would be uncomfortable, but there was no way around it. I stated plainly, you, you are the reason. The VP was surprised, then defensive. Me? He protested. I came up, I came up with a plan. I have delivered it over and over. It's not my fault they aren't executed. Executing it. I listened patiently. The plant managers, the distribution, and sales team don't fully support the plan, he continued. So how am I supposed to execute it? I'm not the one out there in the field with them. I can't make them listen to me. The VP statements gradually became less emphatic. He soon realized what he was saying. He was making excuses. I explained that the direct responsibility of a leader included getting people to listen, support, and execute plans. To drive the point home, I told him, you can't make people listen to me to you. You can't make them execute. You might be a temporary they, that might be a temporary solution for a simple task. But to implement real change to drive people to accomplish something truly complex or difficult or dangerous, you can't make people do those things. You had to lead them. I did lead them, the VP protested. They just didn't execute it. Execute. But he hadn't led them, at least not effectively. So effectively for me is the first step. Did you get it done? Yes or no? And up until this point, the plan, it's a no. You know, they haven't, they haven't seen any progress. So continuing. 
that the measure of this was clear. He had been unsuccessfully in implement unsuccessful in implementing his plan. So Jocko's now going to explain what he what he's dealing what he what he's dealt with and how it how it comes comes true. When I was in charge of a SEAL platoon or a SEAL task unit conducting co combat operations, do you think every operation I led was a success? I asked. He shook his head. No. Absolutely not, I agreed. Sure, I led many operations that went well and accomplished the mission, but not always. I have been in charge of operations that went horribly wrong for, the, for a number of reasons. Bad, intelli bad intelligence, bad decisions by subordinate leadership, mistakes by shooters, coordinating units not following the plan. The list goes on. Combat is a dangerous, complex, dynamic situation where all kinds of things can go sideways in a hurry with life and death consequences. There is no way to control every decision, every person, every occurrence that happens out there. It is just impossible. But let me tell you something. When things went wrong, you know who I blamed? I asked, pausing slightly for, his, for this to sink in. Me, I said. I blamed me. I continued, as the, can as the commander, everything that happened on the battlefield was my responsibility. Everything. If a supporting unit didn't do what we needed it to do, then I hadn't given clear instructions. If one of my machine gunners engaged targets outside his field of fire, then I had not ensured that he understood where his field of fire was. If the enemy surprised us and hit us where we hadn't expected, then I hadn't thought through all the possibilities. No matter what, I could never blame other people when a mission went wrong. The VP contemplated, contemplated this. After a thoughtful silence, he responded, I always thought I was a good leader. I've always thought I've, I've always been in leadership positions. That might be one of the issues. In your mind, you are doing everything right. So when things go wrong, instead of looking at yourself, you blame others. But no one is infallible. With extreme ownership, you must remove individual ego and personal agenda. It's all about the mission. How can you best get your team to most effectively execute the plan in order to accomplish the mission? I continued. That is the question you have to ask yourself. That is what extreme ownership is all about. The VP nodded and then they proceeded. <clears throat> he learned that day. Yeah. But, I mean, I feel like we all go through that. Like, I mean, I mean, before listening to Jocko podcast, I, I can't say I would have that I would have ever, um, you know, thought to take ownership for all my mistakes all the time. You know what I mean? I, it's a not, crazy not that I do now. I'm not perfect, but, you know, but I can always at least take a step back and realize, like, yeah, I got no one else to blame but myself. Something happened. And it's it's to me. I love that. We have this, though. Someone's willing to give their steps, what they use. Everybody's looking for a step. They're looking for this book. They don't want to read it. But yet, if you don't, if, it, okay, I guess this kind of ties back to like what we're talking about right now. Like, when you hear me read this book, it's different from me saying, oh, Jocko says this. Oh, I learned this from Jocko Podcast. Oh, I learned this, and I'm using it with you. I'm using it with my family. I'm using it at Night Round. But now you're hearing it, and it's interesting. And for me, I love that there are books like this. Gary Vee, he's the Instagram, YouTube guy of like this book. As far as, besides taking extreme ownership, which he does, but putting out information for free, especially on YouTube, Instagram, that's all, I mean, it's free media. 
And I, I said this last, I think it was last week where, you know, I posted the Gary V with Tony Robbins video and I got no reaction. I posted this other more entertaining video and I got a bunch of hits and shares and stuff. Cool. I don't mind that. But in a world, in a society today, at this moment, everybody is looking for the 10 step best way to do something and they don't want to read a 10 step book that's going to, that's essentially going to give it to them. And what I've done with this book, well, I'll, just, I'll, I'll tell you this in the end. I'm going to, I'll raise Well, not only part, that, but, but forget the 10 step. Everyone wants the new nine step one that just came out the other day <laughs> okay, yeah. or the eight there step one that's going to be on pre-order tomorrow. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's always the quicker, faster, maybe not as attainable solution. But. And even then, so let's say you get that five steps. Let's say you get a five step book and you don't implement it. It's nothing's going to happen. You know, uh, so I I have just some insight on like the Mary Kay business, um, and, and Mary I, Kay the the makeup yeah the makeup okay. company yeah cosmetics and stuff. Um, I have some some very mild insight, but it's enough for me to draw conclusions. I feel at least for me because basing on what I've heard, based on the book, everything that I've read. Um, so they have seminars, they have these consulting things where they give you these essentially step by step. Now what I've seen is that. A lot of consultants want it to be, they want to follow these 10 steps and it to be ready today. It's like, no, you, you're probably going to have to go through step one and two maybe for a year. <laughs> you know, like uh, one thing that Gary Vee talks about real quick is uh, he he says he, he, he has to give like almost all his projects at least three years before he looks for like good substantial feedback. So it's like, imagine that like, that gave me a whole perspective on like the podcast, like what we're doing with this podcast. Like, okay, I was thinking about giving it a year and like seeing what happens in a year. Cause I'm just curious anyways. So it doesn't matter. But when I heard him say it, he does three years and seeing how successful he is, it's kind of like, well, okay, we may, we may extend this, you know, regardless of where we're at in a year, you know, we'll see where we're at and then proceed. You know, maybe, maybe it'll be a little more book review. Maybe it'll be, you know, uh, stuff that I've used. Like, you know, I guess this example, you know, like today, not everybody's able to meet up. So, showing my insight as to what i'm doing and i hope now i hope in five years i have some some substantial foundation of like people like oh man like andy's done pretty good well how do you do it well start podcast number 10 and go from there on (laughs) you know because i'm giving like gary v like jocko in his book um tony robbins in his book that i also have um it's information that you just you use it as a tool you know i've always used that and one thing with college is some people go to college and they get a, a bio degree. So then they're at their apartment and they don't have a job because, oh, I have a bio degree. I can't do anything with that unless I become a teacher. Well, no, you can. You Have you, have you, work, have you ever worked retail? No, nah, I don't want to work retail. It's like, well, how do you know you won't like it? Yeah. Like, I know I don't like it. <laughs> I, I, but I worked retail, but I, I know, know I don't like I it. I know I like it. I know I hate working for American Eagle. <laughs> there you um, go. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But either way, but we've at least gone through those little periods of time even I, I worked at pizza for like three months in our senior year of high school not like looking back like that's so insignificant but but i also made that decision and i knew that i never wanted to work food again yeah and i have yet to do that and that's been seven years since we've graduated high school so it's like at least try it and because then there like there's people who have career changes now there's some people who do it intentionally and there's some people who found like oh my god i actually like this thing you know, this industry whatever doesn't matter uh, the details. But um, I forgot how we got on this tangent. Well, 
Here's ahead. something for you. I was watching Shark Tank before I came over here. <laughs> Surprise. That's pretty that's, that's pretty common. <laughs> it's very common. You get into like a little business like psyche before you kind of like podcast. Well, uh, well, I mean, I watch Shark Tank like every afternoon. It's mm. on CNBC. Or not afternoon, evening. It's like right. on every evening. Like so they put on like several episodes, right? Yeah, like, they put okay, on back several back. in a row. Yeah, it's always on CNBC like almost every night. Um, Tuesday specifically, they have the marathon. Mm. But And I've seen every every episode, episode of Shark Tank, so um, like... Nothing's really new to me, but um, I saw this this one rerun just now, where this lady um, like had a product that was just very strange to me. Um, it's like okay, so I guess some girls like wearing their button-down T-shirt or button-up, whichever way you prefer to look at it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Button-down, button-up T-shirt, and then they like to throw like a, a V-neck cardigan or something like over that T-shirt. And it's like a fashion thing for okay. girls, I guess you know. Mm-hmm. Well, this lady created a very specific product. That was like, you know, the, the shirt and the sweater layered in one so that you didn't have to worry about like the thickness of like having two layers on or getting all crumpled and making you look like bigger than you actually are. And in my mind, I'm just like, man, that seems like such a niche product. Like no one's going to go for it. Like how much? OK, like let's just hear how many sales she has. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Let, let's just hear. And she had like half a million in sales. And I was like, OK, that's not <laughs> bad. Yeah, Clearly, start- some people need this product. So. Mm-hmm. I'm like, clearly there's a demand for it. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Just no, drop, you're, you're good. Drop my stuff, everybody. But um, anyway, um, so clearly there's a demand for this product. So yeah. she had something. Well, um, she ended up eating like half of that amount in inventory because um, I guess like a friend of hers had um, led her to um, a manufacturer that like just was not a good manufacturer. And she had a whole bunch of inventory that just wasn't up to par oh, and um, with the quality so bad. she yeah so she had to eat up all, all that inventory she couldn't sell it it wasn't good yeah it wasn't up to standard so um so she lost a whole bunch of money off that half million mm-hmm. and um and so like all the sharks were just kind of like really hesitant about that but she kept like just like 75 percent of her presentation was about how she fucked up and um and like the bad manufacturer and all that and like, and I'm just kind of thinking it. And then Barbara, uh, one of the sharks comes out and finally says it like, she goes, you know what? Like you spend too much time throwing a pity party for yourself. And that's not the kind of person I want to work with. I'm out. And I was just like, see, like you can learn that lesson and maybe like, you know, take extreme ownership and mm-hmm. maybe she'll blame herself in the, in the end for, for everything. But how long until she picks up the pieces and stops, you know, the, the pity party. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Cause in that case, now, if I ever met this girl who made this product, I'd be like, okay, you failed here. We, let's let's develop a plan to then better that. You know, find a better manufacturer. Go through all go through all those details. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess at that point, that's where that, that pity party is getting old. People, that pity party getting old. And I tell you what, and I I I will say I'm a part of this movement with Gary Vee and Tony Robbins and Jocko and these guys that in, that that do inspire and men, distant mentor me. Uh, that pity party is disappearing, and it's that's good. Like I, I'm full fledged like against the pity party, and it's disappearing slowly, well, it's one like, day at a time. Yeah, it's like Gary V says all the time in almost every video. No one gives a fuck about your feelings. <laughs> yeah. The market does not give a fuck yeah. about your feelings. Yep. So what are you gonna do? Exactly. Especially if you're a business owner. Now, if you work for somebody, we've I've talked about that. We've we'll we'll talk about it again, but not today. But that pity party in general, we're gonna leave it at the pity party comment. It's it's disappearing day by day, and I, I'm ensuring that. Cause even one today, one client, she's like, uh, I said something about burpees. Cause I think there was two burpees recommend or said to do. And I, I told her to do five and she's like, no. So I, I bumped it back down to two, but she made the comment saying, 
you're you're she's like you're halfway to getting me to like burpees and i was like good fuck yeah like <laughs> that's awesome that that's just feedback that while as a human being it feeds your ego but it at least gives me feedback to know if what i'm doing is is working because if it's not working then i will go back to say um like what is not why is it not working yeah sorry i got something i'm, I'm, I'm like pulling this up i um so i was we were talking about this before we started recording but I was, um, whatchamacallit, uh, up kind of late last night and, um, like, at, like, 12, 1230 at night or something like that and, uh, woke up just very early, did not catch up on sleep. It's, like, the only thing I didn't do today. Um, all that being said, here's what I was doing up at midnight last night. So, um, this lady I know who is a mother to, um, this girl who is, um, an aspiring, I guess, Tejano artist, if you will. Okay. And, um, oh man, is this thing really not going to load? Mm-hmm. That's fine. I'll just go off of memory. But so she had made a post, I guess they've been doing this since she was nine. The girl's about our age. And so the mother made a post about how like, oh, like my daughter's always doing so many things for other people, like, you know, singing in retirement homes and yada, yada, this, yada, yada, that. And yet no one ever bothers to like help her or lift a finger for her and whatever. And. And, you know, and like we've been at this since she was nine years old and I've thrown like everything I can, like like financially or like, um, you know, promotional wise to help her out with her career and whatever. And like but yet no one wants to help her out but me. And and, you know, and it's like it's like the music business. It's like like, you know, it's who, you know, and how much money you have and whatever. And uh, she's just like, I just don't know what to do at this point. And like, you know, maybe God has another plan for her, or, you know, and all this stuff. We'll just leave it all in God's hands. And like, and not saying it's not okay to be religious, but like, but no, you can't just go leave it all in God's hands. You've got to pray for what you can't control, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's what prayer is. You're you're praying for the things you can't control. Mm -hmm. And then you go in your life and you control the things you can't control. Yeah. And And go ahead. Sorry. I actually had this conversation, I had a slight conversation dealing with this. I was like, you know what? If you're going to pray for God for help, I'm like, he gave you a brain. Um, uh, and I, I got really deep to th- today was I just let it all out because the question the question then came to me and I, I, I spilled it all out because going back to the pity potter and everything, I was like, God gave me a brain. I'm like, my help, my parents helped me through get through college, whatever. I know how to read. I'm like, what percentage of the world doesn't know how to read? I'm like, I have the ability and I, I say through God because I do believe in God. I, I go to church. I know I, I, I do what I can. Uh, but I'm like. You're saying, you know, it's in God's will. It's like, well, if he gave you a brain that you can think, you can learn and yeah. you can progress and you can grow. And, and yeah, I, I went I went on a whole tangent with, with the people at church. But um, and it's cool because the it was it's a father that gives us like that, contr- that handles the meeting. Okay. So and he, he actually agrees. He's like, well, he's like, I'm glad you at least know you're conscious of like where you're at in your life. And, th- you know, it, it went that deep, you know, as far as like what I talked about and I brought up wild at heart and he's like, yeah, I read it and stuff. So it's good. Um, and I recommend it to this other couple, you know, the other couple that I now go to these meetings with, but anyways, but yeah, when it, as far as like, Oh, it's in God's hands. Like what you can't control is like, that's stuff. And I, that's why I, I agree with you, Eddie. And, uh, but God gave you a brain. Um, more than likely, if you live in the United States, you can more than likely read. So start reading. You know, uh, or go on YouTube. I've been on a YouTube rant now, like, or the past week because of Gary Vee. He just he posts every day, so it's pretty awesome. Like that guy, he's insane. Um, but I've gone on that tangent. You know, YouTube's good, but 
for the inform informative stuff. You know, when you're if you're gonna bring up the argument of it's uh, in God's hands, some of it is, but God gave you a brain, and that's my argument: is that God gave you a brain. You can read, you can progress, you can yeah, learn. and you can figure it out and and do something to contribute. And so this this lady's like complaining, and then I guess like someone had brought up like in the comments, like I was like, oh, I was like. Like, well, your daughter sings with a karaoke track. Like, why don't you, like, get her a band? And she's like, oh, it's not that simple. And so I commented. I was like, why is it not simple? Like, okay, you can't afford a band right now? Fine. Lots of people start out not being able to afford to pay their bands. Understand. Been there. Yeah. Why can't you hire one guitar player to play acoustic rhythm? And then the both of you go down to the restaurant that has a little stage in the corner, and you say, hey, if you pay me and him 100 bucks each or 150 bucks each yeah, or whatever right, it's going right, to be, yeah. we'll play here for three hours. Sound good to you? Like, you know, like, just, like, make it happen, damn yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Go, go, well, go out and at least attempt it. Don't yeah. say, oh, no, it's not the way. It's like, no, you go out and uh, you do that. You know, uh, I I don't know what video it was, but talk about Nashville and going to Nashville and meeting people. We'll, we'll say that for another day because uh, I want to wrap this up. But, but no, yeah, I totally, I totally get that. You know, you need to go out and do. Like, you can't go off of uh, what you think you know if you haven't at least tried it and that goes back to like the working retail and all that stuff that we brought up right, right now yeah but uh just well, trying things so doing she things. so this mom uh, i'll let's get back to the book right but, after this but the mom had then come back at me and said it's like well like you know we wouldn't do that because she's like performing at all these like bigger events and i was like great that's awesome how often is she doing that and then she's like well like once every other month i was like see that's not enough yeah that's not every weekend like, that's not every weekend <laughs> yeah. i would love to play something as big as fiesta edinburgh or the stock show or you know opening up for whoever every yeah, weekend every weekend but yeah, not at that level yet yeah we're not there yet you know so that's just the, the we're close the people we're close i'll Getting tell there. you right now working we're close. on it um so let me let me wrap this up so there's a couple more pages left in the, this chapter one let me go back so they had just talked about the vp taking extreme ownership or needing to and then the conversation continues do you think that every one of your employees is blatantly disobedient? I said, no, the VP said. If if so, they would need to be fired. But that doesn't seem to be the situation here, I continued. Your people don't need to be fired. They need to be led. So what am I doing wrong as a leader? Asked the VP. How can I lead them? It all starts right here with you, I said. You must assume total ownership of the failure to implement your new plan. You are to blame. And that is exactly what you need to tell the board. Tell the board that? Are you serious? The VP asked in dis disbelief. I don't mind taking a little blame, but this is not all my fault. Though beginning to see the light, he still resisted the idea of taking total responsibility. In order to execute this plan, in order to truly become an effective leader, you have to realize and accept total responsibility, I said. You have to own it. The VP was not yet convinced. Dude, Imagine Jocko telling you this in like a, in an office, you know, office space. Like that's so intense for me. If you haven't heard Jocko's voice, just listen to like the first thirty seconds of episode one. Doesn't even matter. Any episode, any thirty seconds of the opening episode. Listen to his retirement speech on episode. What is it? Oh, I think it's. I think it's. It's like eight, nine, or ten. It's it's the first like ten. It's the first few. You're gonna find out. Keep reading. Okay. If one of your manufacturing managers came to you and said, "My team is failing." What would your response be? Would you blame their team, I asked? No, the VP admitted. Then here, Jocko eventually goes into explaining how one of his officers in charge um, was kind of in the same situation, just in you know military situation. So then they finally go, and then he gets uh, Jocko gets to the point. 
Continuing, I told the VP, in those situations, you ended up with a unit that never felt they were to blame for anything. All they did was make excuses and ultimately never made an adjustment necessary to fix problems. Now, compare that to the commander who came in and took the blame, he said. My subordinate leaders made bad calls. I must not have explained the overall intent well enough. Or... The assault force did not, didn't execute the way I envisioned. I need to make sure they better understand my intent and rehearse more thoroughly. The good leaders took ownership of the mistakes and shortfalls. That's the key difference. And how do you think their SEAL platoons and task units reacted to this type of leadership? They must have respected that, the VP acknowledged. Exactly. The, they see extreme ownership in their leaders, and as a result, they emulate extreme ownership throughout the chain of command down to the most junior personnel. As a group, they try to figure out how to fix their problems instead of trying to figure out who or what to blame. For those who, for those on the outside looking in, like our training group, or the board in your case, the difference is obvious. And that is how I appear to the board right now, blaming everyone and everything else the VP recognized. There's only one way to fix it, I told him. So then, leading up to this meeting, the VP is now going back and he's preparing basically a brief for for why this isn't happening and uh, and uh, so he's making the plan, right? He's making the plan. So then, as we rehearsed the VP's portion of the board presentation, I was unconvinced that he truly accepted total responsibility for his team's failures. I told him that bluntly. I'm saying exactly what you told me to say. The VP retorted. The reason that this mission was unsuccessful was my failure as a leader to force execution. That's the problem, I said. You are saying it, but I'm not convinced you be you believe it. Look at your career. You have accomplished amazing things, but you certainly aren't perfect. None of us are perfect. You are still learning and growing. We all are. And this is a lesson for you. If you re-engage on this task, if you do a stern self-assessment of how you led and what you can do better, the outcome will be different. But it starts here. It starts at the board meeting when you go in, put your ego aside, and take ownership for the company's failure here. The board members will be impressed with what they see in here because most people are unable to do this. They will respect your extreme ownership. Take responsibility for the failures. You will come out the other side stronger than before. I concluded. At the board meeting, the VP did just that. He took the blame for the failure to meet the manufacturing objectives and gave a solid no-nonsense list of corrective measures that he would implement to ensure execution. The list started with what he was going to do differently, not about what other people needed to do. Now the VP was on his way, key, on his way to extreme ownership. And that's the end of chapter one. Love that. So again, let me let me just tie up this and why I read this and why I decided to do this book. The other books that I brought up, which is The Go-Giver, Wild at Heart, Unshakable, I've brought those up with Brian and Eddie. This was the only book that I've always only talked about or referenced but never read, read out of directly, not even in the podcast that we've had together. So it seems like I'm going to proceed with this book for times like this where schedules conflict and it's either Brian or Eddie here in the room with me. 
Uh, I hope that you guys get something out of it. I hope Eddie was now able to get just a little more insight, depth insight into the book beyond the voice, beyond, beyond, you know, just what we hear on the podcast. Cause again, and Eddie's not wrong. You know, it's, it's one thing to hear it, you know, over and over again in the podcast, but when you, when you get the, the detail, the details in the book and Eddie knows details because he writes songs. He looks for details. He looks for how to say the, how, how to say things better. And Jocko and Lave did the, did a really good job <clears throat> in this book. So, uh, that ties up chapter one, uh, something that I use, um, and it's funny cause I've always, I've always said, I'm I'm kind of the middleman. I'm always in the middle. I'm, I'm never, I'm not a m- owner or manager of anything, but I use this book on a daily basis to help my managers and my leaders above me, um, uh, then just have, have, a, have more success. That's, that's all I care about. Um, and th- I'm going to go off on just a two sentence tangent as I call them of, I could give a shit about, you know, the credit or whatever. I'm looking for, for sure, fulfillment, you know, happiness, but also execution. You know, what are we, what are we doing? Uh, Gary V always talks about the process. That's what fascinates him. And I have to say, um, I'm, I'm, I have that parallel. It's a little bit different, but the parallel of the process, I care about how we're going to get there because it's one thing that it goes back to the memes and all the stuff we see on social media every single day. Oh, go out and be your best. Carpe diem, seize the day, you know, all this stuff, but execute. That's what I want. I want execution. Um, so we'll close it out there. Um, last thing, listen to Eddie found the episode. So listen to episode 11. That's, uh, the first episode that Jocko has Leif on as well. So you get to hear Leif's voice, which is really intense. It's really cool. Um, I dig it. It's really cool. Um, but at the beginning, Jocko reads his own retirement speech that he gave to his seals and uh, everybody that was able to attend the ceremony. Um, they had the big old just ceremony for Jocko. I mean, he, he did a lot, you know, he, I believe he's the most decorated. He was commander of the most decorated, I guess, group during the Iraq war, special forces and stuff. So, um, besides the medals, it's like getting a black belt. It doesn't matter. It matters about how you're going to use that knowledge. And that's, that's, that's just a side note tying to jujitsu. You know, Jock was a black belt. You know, it's cool. But it's it, for him, it's like having a medal. It does not matter. It matters about him going to help out people. For me, it matters the people who I... Right at this moment, it's the people who I interact with on a daily basis. Hopefully, as reviews start coming in and we get more immediate feedback for the podcast, um, I'm always down to help. And I've said that over and over again. You know, email me on the podcast email. We'll get back. I'll get back to you with it. If it's like a significant topic that I'm like, oh man, I didn't think about that. More than likely it'll make the episode too, which is cool. Cause that just, that just gives us something to expand on. And maybe it's, it's, uh, besides being relevant, but just a different point of view that we're like, oh man, none of, none of us three in this room thought about that. Um, so if it comes down to health or extreme ownership, go buy the book. I mean, I've read the first chapter, so I, you have now a taste of what it is. Um, last thing, moving with life. We're on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud. Don't forget to leave reviews. Uh, feedback is appreciated. Uh, Eddie, thanks for sitting in and letting me be a little bit selfish today. Got to read a little bit of this book that it it's, it's on my bookshelf for life and, uh, I use it and I hope that, uh, you know, Eddie, you use it. And I know, I mean, even subconsciously, you know, through the things that now you've heard and you've written, you've written down your little, uh, legal pad, um, to me that it's it's important it's uh, execution is important prioritize execute uh 
Well, as we progress through this book, as the chapters come along, um, a lot, I think a lot of thing, a lot of things will make sense to people as far as like my, my point of view on any given situation now. So uh, no quote. There's plenty of pl- plenty of quotes and stuff from the book. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, signing off now.